Welcome to Cowgirl Talk, where we empower you to live authentically through real food, real talk, and real life, brought together by our love of cows. We're your hosts, Emily, a farmer and rural-ish girly from Wisconsin. Haley, a food blogger and dairy farmer's daughter from New York. And Emily, a dairy lover and personal trainer living in Florida. Hello, and welcome back to Cowgirl Talk. This is episode 10, and it's actually our final episode of 2023, which I can't believe that we've already done 10 episodes. I also can't believe that we're at the end of 2023. Both parts are a little bit crazy. And first, before we dive into anything, we all just want to say that we are so, so thankful for all of you that choose to listen to Cowgirl Talk, who choose to support us, who interact with us. This has been so much fun, and we're so excited to see where this continues to go. But as for this episode, as we are all ag girlies, right? We're the cowgirls. Today, Mm. we'll be diving into some of the top food claims, food trends that we have seen this year, and also just giving a little bit more of an unbiased truth with these trends, and also hopefully providing some helpful resources to point you in the right direction of where you can look for information that doesn't freak you out, but again, just gives you a really awesome understanding of where your food comes from. So before we dive into the meat and the heavy part of this episode, let's dive into our happy crappies. So starting it off with Haley, what are your happy crappies of the week? My happy is, my happy was just delivered to me this morning. Um, It's snowing like a real legitimate blanket of snow here in upstate New York. And it's beautiful. Like it's so pretty on the lake. And it's much needed because if it's going to be cold and dark, I want it to be snowy and pretty and white. And it's been raining for like three weeks straight here in New York. And it's been very depressing. Like literally just, I feel like I'm in a music video for a depressing song for three weeks. (laughs) Just so sad. The gray rainy ambiance is too much. So um, I'm pretty sure it's going to like warm up to 50 degrees and rain again this weekend, but I'm enjoying the beautiful blanket of snow for now. And yeah, it's cozy. Um, my crappy is, um, I've just been sick for like literally, literally a month over a month. And if that's why I sound weird, it's, um, yeah, just dealing with the aftermath of that. And it just makes you like, we're just talking about this makes me take for granted being able to breathe through my nose. (laughs) I'll never take for granted again. Um, and being able to like hear, I just feel like I'm in a blur for like the last month, like coffee tastes different. Like it doesn't, caffeine doesn't affect me the same way. I swear I can't like hear or see the TV the same way. I just feel in a fog. So I can't wait to like go back to a routine of working out and just feeling normal. I'm getting there, but dang, it's annoying. It's really freaking annoying. I pinched a nerve in my back from coughing so much. It's like (laughs) I'm falling apart. The wheels are falling off the ship. We're getting old. (laughs) Yeah, literally. So funny. Actually, well, it's not funny, but it is at the same time because it's just like, why does this happen, right? I know. I know. I like coughed, pinched the nerve, and I was like, I said an explicit word. I was like, what the heck is happening? That was the final straw. Yeah, that was it. Uh, what about you guys? What's your happy in your lives? Well, I have to say, we had snow, and similar to you, and like the experience that you've been having with snow is like it snowed, it melted, it snowed again, and now we're at the melting phase. So we have no more snow for now. And I keep looking at the forecast and I'm like, I want snow because if it's going to be winter and cold, I want it to be snowy out. But um, we've also had like a lot of just wind and it's super cold too. I'm just going to be talking about the weather. That's not my actual happy. <laughs> this is a weather podcast now. <laughs> 
but like it has like it hasn't been that cold here but the wind has been so strong that like my face hurts every time i go outside and i'm like my face shouldn't hurt when it's 30 degrees like my face should hurt when it's zero degrees not 30 mm-hmm. but anyway that's not my happy crappy <laughs> at all um my happy is that so last night i made or yesterday I made a steak recipe that i'm sharing on my instagram today um so by the time the podcast is out the recipe will already be posted but avery and i ate the leftovers last night and i mean when i was making it and eating it i was like because obviously after i made it i just stood over the pan and like was shoveling it into my mouth um and i was like you know this is like really freaking good but like i'm not gonna toot my own horn that much and then he sat down and ate it for dinner and he was like this is like johnny delmonico worthy steak which for anyone who, which nobody probably knows what Johnny Delmonico is, besides Emily, she does. I do. Um, it's a bougie steakhouse here in Madison, and we go there, like, only for very, very special occasions. Like, we've gone there maybe three times because it's, like, bougie. And Avery was like, this is Johnny Delmonico worthy, and I'm like, I made it. And then I told him it was a very me meal, and he should probably just get down on one knee. Then it didn't happen, obviously, but it was a good food, a good meal. Um, and then my crappy is I've been just, like, feeling very sad lately. (laughs) Um, normally I'm, like, happier during the month of December because it's, like, the hype of the holidays and, like, there's lots of festivities going on. And I don't know why, but this week in particular, I just, like, I think it's because I've been staying in my house so often. Like, I think it was on Tuesday this week. The only other person I saw besides Avery was my chiropractor, and I obviously only saw her for, like, 10 minutes, and I only left my house for that time that I went to the chiropractor, and I'm, like, just homebound right now, and not seeing other people, and I'm, like, a type of person that, like, I fuel, get fuel off of, like, talking to other people and stuff, and so I've just been, like, kind of sad, but that's also the winter. I need to embrace the coziness and not just be sad. So relatable, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, maybe you could go to a coffee shop for a day of work or go to a workout class. And even if it's just a short period of time, I know even for me, because I work from home, like all of us, right? It can get really monotonous and a little bit lonely. Just going there and literally just having a two minute conversation with a cashier changes my whole day. <laughs> we don't have a coffee shop in Sauk, which is like very unfortunate. Um, but I do plan on going to um a noon workout class every Monday because I feel like it'll kick off the week good. Mm-hmm. And I like had to, this is TMI, but like I had to arrange it in my hair wash schedule because you get so sweaty in that class. <laughs> They're like, I need to make sure I'm like on a hair wash day afterwards. But that's my plan. I did buy a class pass for that. I'm so here for that. And yeah, the perks of being a woman, I totally understand that. And My happy crappies don't necessarily have anything to do with the weather because I am very blessed with being in Florida. I get the sunshine. So I don't know how I lived in Pennsylvania most of my life. I love it so much. But during the winter months, I guess you just get used to the gloominess. But now that I've been in Florida for six years, I'm very used to the sunshine. And I can tell the difference when we don't have it. But other than this being a little mini weather podcast, my happy for the week is a crumble cookie finally opened up in Gainesville, Florida. And I am so freaking pumped. I love sweets and there hasn't been a crumble near me ever, no matter where I've lived. And even still every Monday, I literally go on their Instagram, look at the flavors just because I love to think of, Oh, what would these taste like? So a crumble cookie finally opened near us. 
Might be dangerous. We'll see. It's about 15 minutes away, which is far enough away to not be too convenient. Mm -hmm. But I got the cookie flavors this week. The gingerbread cookie with his cream cheese icing was insane. It was. You've never had crumble? No. (laughs) Shmem, have you? Yeah, and I was going to say my hot take is that I don't really like crumble. Okay, well, you can, uh, we're, we're going to cut this out. <laughs> Just kidding. But I feel like you have to go again and, and give it a whirl. There are certain flavors that, you know, are, it's a good cookie, but then there are certain flavors like this ginger, the gingerbread one that are just an excellent cookie. I thought the like cosmic brownie one always looks so good to me. Ooh. Is that good? Have you tried that one? So since we haven't been near any, I haven't tried a ton of them. I've only had crumble cookie about, I don't know, five or so times over oh. my span. Just because again, I'm not close. I just... I'm a fan from afar, but now I don't have to be afar. Fan, fan. <laughs> I could be a real fan. But yeah, so as you can see, I'm so excited. I start to talk really fast when I get excited. So that's how much <laughs> I love cookies and sweets. But crappy for the week. Back to college football, right? Because we're just, we're having a hard time with it. But Georgia football lost against freaking Alabama. And they shouldn't have lost in terms of, they just played so weird. So I guess they deserve to kind of lose in that game. But It was not a great game. Georgia did not play well, which, whatever, the world moves on. But for anyone who watches college football and the playoffs, the structure of it is so stupid. They only let four teams in, which is a joke. They're changing it next year. But they just because because Georgia lost, it kind of screwed over Florida State, and they didn't make it in. Alabama made it in. And I feel like my level of hate for Alabama is on with Ohio State, so I just don't want either of those teams to do well, but Michigan's in, which is a Big Ten school. So Shmem can relate to that. We're both Big Ten. So I can, I guess I'm kind of pulling for them, but it's a very uh, sportsy girl crappy, but <laughs> that's, that's where we're at. But aside from sports, cookies, weather, snow, now we can dive into the depth of our episode talking about food trends. And I know we're going to be covering some more science based ones and getting a little deeper, but we wanted to start with a fun one, which is girl dinner. And Shmem, I feel like you'd love your girl dinner. So kick us off here. Yeah, I love the trend of girl dinner because I feel like it like brought together this whole community of girls, like actually acknowledging like this is just like a trend of how we eat our food because especially during the summer months, like that's what my lunch is, is I'll have like random vegetables that are either from my garden or that I bought from like mm-hmm. farmer's market or grocery store. like. I have meat from either our farm or whatever, like sandwich meat and stuff. And I just like have a hodgepodge of food. And that's just like what I, I also graze on it throughout the day. It's like my, like a big charcuterie board throughout the day for myself. Mm -hmm. And I just love the fact that like, we all kind of bonded over our love of eating meals this way. Um, So I don't really have like a lot to provide there other than the fact that I really like the trend because I think it just brought us together again over food, which is what we all like to talk about. Yes. Haley, do you have a positive or a different opinion on girl dinners? Oh yeah. I thought it was cute. I actually got to do like a collaborative girl dinner with three food brands. They like all did it on one plate and it was super fun. And it was like, Mediterranean style. It was mm. super yummy. It was like yogurt, olives, and uh, it's like Balkan. They're like, it's some Mediterranean. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it was really yummy. Um, I just like how 
it's like as we love eating that stuff as kids why do we as adults feel like that has to go away like little lunchables or little mini you know and we i guess we call them charcuterie boards to be mm-hmm. a little more distinguished <laughs> as adults but it's like the same thing with like cheese on vegetables it's like why did this we feel like as adults this needed to go away um when we loved it as toddlers so yeah i thought it was super cute that's a good point we can still have fun with our food and if it yeah. gets you to eat you know, maybe more nutritious things. If that's why you eat veggies, if it's part of a little adult lunchable, I'm here for it. I will say kind of playing devil's advocate with it. Not really. I love the girls trend, girls dinner trend, because like you said, Shmem, it was a really fun way of everyone just relating and kind of giggling and showing their fun little dinners. But I will say on the negative side of it for some of the girl dinners that I saw would be girls just completely skipping meals or eating, you know, a bowl of popcorn or like I'm eating air for dinner and going to sleep is my girl dinner. And that's, and I didn't see it as much. There was a pretty positive spin on it. And I think if there was a negative, a lot of people called that out, mm-hmm. but I loved it for the terms of it was more positive. People called out the negative, but this is just your reminder that for everyone, even with it being a girl dinner, no matter what, what it looks like, we are all adults and we need to eat you know, meals that keep us satisfied, full, and you shouldn't be skipping meals or drinking coffee for a meal. That should not be your girl dinner. Like we're adults, let's eat the protein, the vegetables. And even if it's in a form of adult lunchable, get get those calories in. I feel like those negative ones, girls threw some, threw it out there on TikTok and stuff to be like, oh yeah, relatable. And all the girls were like, yeah, no, shut it down. This is not not actually relatable. My girl dinner is like a lot of food. Yeah, I was gonna say like girls gotta eat. That's what it was yeah. like for me. It was like girls gotta eat. This is our girl dinner. Like we're having the cute cheese, the cute crackers, the cute like random hodgepodge of things we find. And I always included like a sweet treat in my girl dinner yes. because I am a treat girly through and through. And like I would see other girls do that, and so that's why I enjoyed it. I love it. Yeah, that was a fun food trend of 2023. I'd say that was a huge highlight of the year. Mm-hmm. It was fun. And yeah, like y'all said, a lot of positive spin and a reminder that, yeah, we, we like to eat and there's nothing wrong with that at all. If I'm hangry, I'm not a good person. I agree. Let's move on to a serious, more serious one. And that is, as we all know, raw milk is trending right now. And to preface it, I feel like we always just have to have a little disclaimer is that I'm all about food choice, as are you two. I want people to choose the food that is best for them. Um, and I do, I truly love that milk and meat too. Like they are having their moment for sure. Um, I literally am looking at my notes cause I wrote down exactly how I wanted to talk about this. Cause I feel like you just have to frame it in like a very special way. Mm-hmm. But, um, I, as we all know, like, I don't like people that either one, maybe don't know the imp- impl- well, if I could talk, implications of the information, say that five times fast that they're sharing just because. When you think about raw milk, it's obviously priced at a higher price point. And then when you're sharing it as a fact that like you only want people to drink raw milk, maybe not everyone can afford that. And so then people might not choose to drink milk at all because they can't afford the raw milk and stuff like that. And then again, going with that, I hate or dislike, I should say, hate is a very strong word. Um, People who shame others for the choices that they make, a.k.a. if they drink raw milk or not or pasteurized milk. Or people who maybe just don't fully have the information about what the food is or what the thing is that they're deciding. Um, Because I think a lot of people see it with this is the buzzwords of raw milk, but they don't actually understand or maybe have a knowledge of 
kind of what led to milk being pasteurized. And I have lots of notes on this because I just want to provide people information, but you guys jump in so I'm not just like rambling, please, because otherwise <laughs> I can get on a high horse and I should probably just like step off, dismount the high horse a little bit. I'm excited for this though, because like you said, <laughs> yeah. though, I think it is important to support all food choices, but make sure that it's coming from a very informed place because with the raw milk trend, I think it's also people who are diehard, ride, ride hard, diehard raw milk have also kind of leaned toward demonizing conventional milk. Whereas, like you said, there's a reason that pasteurization exists. So I'm excited for you to dive into it. Yeah. And the other thing I want to preface too, is like the reason I'm providing this information is so that you as a consumer have more information before you make the decision of if you purchase raw milk or conventional milk. I'm not telling you to choose one or the other. I'm just giving you the information so you can make that decision for yourself. Um, but why they started to pasteurize milk. So it started in, I believe the early 1900s. I'm trying to look at my notes. But what happened was um, there are obviously cases of foodborne illnesses, and a lot of them were directly linked to consuming milk. And those milk were, that milk was obviously coming from farms. Um, and they, so back in the 1880s, this actually happened at UW-Madison where I went to college, so like shout out. Um, but there's a French scientist, his name is Louis Pasteur, and he, like, oh, it's, that's where the phrase like pasteurization comes from, is he did research on, I believe it was a yeast or micro, something with microorganisms or a yeast, and depending on the temperature that it was brought to, was that grape juice turned into wine or turned into vinegar, which is just like very fascinating to me as like science nerd. Um, so then because of that, they decided to apply that to milk to be able to get rid of the microorganisms that was causing disease. And so what pasteurization, how it actually works is that uh, I'm going to read my notes verbatim right now because I don't want to mess this <laughs> up on what it is. So the pasteurization of milk requires temperatures of about 63 degrees Celsius or 145 degrees Fahrenheit maintained for 30 minutes or alternatively heating to a higher temperature, which would be 72 degrees Celsius, 162 degrees Fahrenheit and holding it for 15 seconds. There is like ultra something pasteurization that's even higher temperature for a shorter period of time. But these times and temperatures are those determined to be necessary to destroy the bacteria that causes tuberculosis and other, this is very scientific, more heat resistant, non spore forming <laughs> disease causing microorganisms found in milk. Not good stuff. But so basically, what it is is it's just like heating milk up to a higher temperature for a short period of time and then cooling it right back down. And that's what's found to be able to like kill these organisms that had been making people sick. The other thing is that pasteurization does not alter the like nutritional value of milk. Um, pasteurization does not, it's not, a, uh, this is what I was messing up earlier when we were pre prepping for this is it's not statistically significant. The difference between the nutritional value of raw milk and pasteurized milk. The one thing that a lot of people do know is that there is a small change when it comes to vitamins. Um, raw milk contains a minuscule amount, which is less than 10% of the recommended daily allowance of vitamin C, and that doesn't survive the pasteurization process. So there's not as high of a level of vitamin C found in hmm. pasteurized milk versus raw milk. So if that is something 
However, it's not a significant amount, and you can obviously get your vitamin C from other resources yeah. in your diet. So that's my my spiel <laughs> on the raw milk situation. Again, just providing information for you as a consumer to make your own decision. I just like like I said, I feel like a lot of people think they see the buzzwords of like you should consume raw milk, but they don't mm-hmm. know the whole process behind it. So yeah. that's my word vomit. I think it was helpful because that was a nice little rundown for me. I did dairy bowl growing up for anyone who doesn't know what that is. It's like quiz bowl with dairy facts. And I remember we learned a lot about Louis Pasteur, pasteurization, (laughs) the high temp short time for one of those pasteurization processes. But I love that you just hit on that. It is a process that removes the risk with consuming dairy and consuming milk, but it does not change the nutrient content and like you said a very very small amount but not enough for me and for what i suggest for most people that it would be something that like the risk is not worth the reward when it comes to raw milk for me if i can get 13 essential nutrients if i can get the vitamins and minerals eight plus grams of protein in a glass of milk and have it be pasteurized so it's removing any risk that is still getting a lot of bang for your buck it's not as big a difference as the raw milk drinkers or community would maybe try to portray that it's going to make that much of a difference unless you're just consuming insane amounts of it. But for most people, if you're consuming a couple servings of dairy a day, conventional dairy, pasteurized dairy is still extremely nutrient dense. And for anything you feel like you may be missing, that's why you need to include variety in your diet and other forms of fruit, vegetables, proteins, all of those things. Yeah. I think there's like, you can look at it two ways of there's um, individual, like if there's very nuanced cases where um, you have the right and decision to choose what you want to buy. And just like how if you want to buy Domino's pizza, no one's making you order Pizza Hut because we live in America. You can buy and eat what you want to eat. Um, but looking at it from a perspective of having studied food production in college, it is our job to learn how to supply protein and food to a multi-billion person population we have to look at it from a not nuanced or individual situation. We have to look at it from a, again, supplying protein to a multi-billion person population. That's a big responsibility and something that needs to make sure it's done strategically, that we make decisions based off data that Shmem mentioned, and that we make our decisions off of statistically significant facts. Again, the vitamins or the you know research has been done on that. It wasn't statistically significant. Thus, and again, risk adverse, we make our decisions based on statistics and what the risk inversions are. And for us to supply protein to a multi-billion person population, the risk adverse way to do it is through a process that is natural of heating things up, cooling it down, then we can reduce the risk and get it out to the people that need it. Like that's as simple as it is. If you want to have your own milk cow, buy and have drink raw milk, go for it. Because again, we live in America and you can do what you want. That's great. Um, obviously there's like social pressures and responsibility of coming to that. It's not as easy for everyone. Like think of the majority of the population where people live, East coast, West coast, large cities, people can't really access a family milk cow to supply raw milk. So important to note that, you know, because you can't do that, you're still not missing out by purchasing it at your 7-Eleven or Walmart or Aldi's. Yeah. I was going to say, I also... And I'm not going to dive down this, but I go down the um, 
the path too of like where milk is placed in the grocery store and how milk is used in the food chains and like for marketing purposes to get people to come into the grocery stores and like milk is a lost leader in grocery stores so it's like placed in the back for a reason so that people go back there they're not making a ton of money off of it neither is a farmer unfortunately but like that's just the reality of life but if you had raw milk which now I am kind of going to the weeds of this but like if raw milk is a more expensive product and to be able to have you can't really have that in the grocery store and market it the same way so that's like that would change the whole food chain and supply chain as well and i think going back to to Haley, what you're saying of like we have to do it we have to provide protein to this huge population in the least risk adverse well i just can't talk to it least risk adverse way and I just don't think like we would be able to and maybe we'll come to this as like processes change on farms and food processing and stuff but right now I don't think in the United States we could safely and easily get that supply of raw milk for everyone to be able to consume. Also I want to build on that too because it reminded me of I think one of the big reasons people like to drink raw milk or why it's kind of churny right now is of course people talk about the nutrient profiles, which we talked about, not very different, but I think so many people think raw milk or these small local farms is the only way to support family farms. And we have to remember that big does not equal bad when it comes to farms or ranches. And with dairy farms, the statistic, I think it's definitely over 95% of family farms or or dairy farms are family owned and operated. And most of the store that... Wow, I can't talk either. What is this trend happening? I was going to say, the stat is, I believe in U.S., it's 96% of dairy Amazing. Farms, and then in Wisconsin specifically, it's 98%. Oh, cool. Even better. So <laughs> thank you for that. And when you go into a grocery store, the store brand milk that you're buying, it comes from within a certain radius to that store and to where they're processing that milk. So even if it doesn't say oh, this milk is from this farm that's 20 minutes over. Even if it has the Target brand on it or the Publix brand or wherever you're buying milk from, that is still milk coming from family-owned dairy farms. So I know it maybe doesn't feel as fun as going to the farmer's market and buying the raw milk from the little stand, but even if you're buying milk out of a grocery store or the 7-Eleven convenience store, that is still milk that is most likely coming from within a radius of your state, of your location. So you're still supporting family farmers that just made me think of one more thing and then we definitely need to move on from this subject because birds gonna keep going down a rabbit hole but i do think one thing that the dairy industry could improve on that you just kind of alluded to is like it's not as cute to go Mm -hmm. and buy you know just your plastic gallon of milk from the grocery store and i think especially our generation and those younger than us is we strive for the aesthetic like we love the aesthetic so i do think if the aesthetic of that store-bought grocery milk was a little upped, a little elevated, I do think that we would see more people trending towards it mm-hmm. just because it looks aesthetically pleasing, whereas, like, the plastic gallon is just not cute. Yep. I will say the plastic gallon, though, makes it so that I can buy it for $2.98. Right. So, like, aesthetic and convenience. So I – but I ought to counter that. I think the convenience stores are doing a good job of upping the aesthetic because 7-Eleven sells merch now and cute beanies, like mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. it, quick trips, like super popular with merch. Yes. So like, 
Um, I think it's good that we keep the like plastic convenience options because I, I just want cheap stuff for my mac and cheese sometimes, but um, they're up in their game in the aesthetic world, I would think. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I agree. Like, the che- I prefer, like, I'm fine getting my milk in that cheap gallon. Like, I don't care about that. Obviously, we all are just like, just give me my damn milk. <laughs> um, but I do think from... much. Just give me my damn milk. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You sh- That's your next idea. <laughs> next <laughs> collection. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, give me my damn cheese. Give me da- my damn milk. Give me my damn <laughs> butter. Anyway, <laughs> um... I do think, though, for the greater population is if there was, like, a middle road milk, maybe, that was not as expensive as, like, the raw milk that you get from a small farm, but not as cheap as the plastic gallon from the grocery store, but, like, a middleman that's, like, slightly more aesthetic, but still mass-produced in the sense of, like, there's a lot of it coming out, I think that would be beneficial. I think Fairlife kind of filled that, and why it's so it's done so well now and i won't go down the rabbit hole because we do have other trends to talk about but i am excited to see what dairy continues to do and i think fairlife really started that trend of trying to create more of that middle ground and making it aesthetic but i do agree with y'all that i love that there's still the affordable option with milk which is one of the best things about it but moving on (laughs) Haley, let's switch gears and hear what claims trends from this year that you'd love to talk about especially as you are deep into the food blogging world. Yes. Um, So I would say, and we don't need to spend a ton of time on this, but just one that I recognize of having extreme popularity this year is I'm calling it the ballerina farm era of um, like all of us young, like 20 girls, 20 year old, some girls are into making sourdough. We're into making (laughs) our own bread. Or I just saw a TikTok of like, we make our own salad dressing, bread, um, like cookies and croutons and crackers. Uh, I think it's just interesting, the influence that it's had. And um, we covered the whole milk space and how like, I'm sure the ballerina farm era has influenced the raw milk, you know, ordeal and everything because that's what they choose to have for their family. But I think it's been fun to romanticize for some people to like, okay, we're kicked down to adult life. We work. What else? Like, what can we find joy in? And it's like, well, you can find joy in like simple pleasures of having a beautiful life, a small cozy kitchen, making our own, like, it's fun to have a hobby of making, having sourdough discard and making those types of things. And there's extremes to everything, but I think a lot of people meet in the middle there and have just found joy of, I've seen a lot of accounts of people just be, I'm one of them. Like I never, people are like, oh, you, you're a cooking page. I never remember you like to cook. And it's like, yeah, I picked up a hobby. Sue me. Like (laughs) I figured out I enjoy cooking. Like, I think there's a lot of people that are learning to enjoy to cook and it's cute. Nice to see. I was going to say, I am a sourdough girly and making my own sourdough (laughs) bread. And I think there's just like a juxtaposition too of like, even us talking about it is like, again, going back to like, we come from a conventional agriculture background, but we have like homesteading stuff that we do, Mm -hmm. even if it's not our entire personality, it's like part of our personality now as we've gotten older that we like to do. Oh yeah. I'm like such a half-assed homesteader where like, I love the idea of having chickens and stuff, but also I want to like go to Wegmans and buy so much food and go like have the lunch or go to Boston for a weekend and stuff. So it's fun to dabble in, but then I'm like, okay, I'm over it. Someone else make my food for me. I don't want to yeah. do it. Yeah, I'm a convenience girl uh, through and through, and I buy everything, which if you have the opportunity to make it at home and you have some land to do these things, that's awesome. And I love what you said, Haley, romanticizing it, but also 
if you don't have the ability to do these things, again, don't feel, uh, I guess, guilted out by social media. Because sometimes even I do feel like, wow, I don't care about this. Does that make me a bad person? I think like gardening is such a great example. And there's that meme of like the graph of um, pride from excelling in your job, pride from graduating college, and then pride from growing your own tomato. And it's like (laughs) off the charts of like, woo, I did it. But then like my garden's a great example of like, I grew a few peppers and it's like, okay, this is cute, but I'd rather just leave it to someone else because I suck at this kind of, (laughs) but. I do like the fact that we are romanticizing though, like real food and whole foods. And like, Mm -hmm. even if you are buying it from the grocery store, like a pepper is still a pepper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're like romanticizing, making fun meals with it. And like, I don't know. Just like making our food cute, going back to girl dinner, like we're making our food cute and fun and flirty and like something we all enjoy. Yeah, that's my, um, that was my only second trend that I saw of kind of people falling in love with just whole real foods and kind of leaving behind or at least calling out comparing and Emily, you can talk to this in the nutrition space, but um, anything labeled like protein. And there was a TikTok I saw, I loved, I saved it. And like, I still think about it, um, this dietitian was comparing like a packaged protein cookie out of like a GNC health store and a cheeseburger from McDonald's. And she actually broke down calories, protein, fat, carbohydrate, sugar. And like the cheeseburger was, I think less in, definitely less in sugar, less in carbohydrates, equal in protein, same in calories. And she's like, honestly, I'd rather eat this cheeseburger because it tastes better and it's cheaper. And like, just because it came out of a health nutrition store and labeled protein on it, don't let that rule your decision-making, like actually just look at the contents of the food and your body. Even if you put, I say this all the time, anything in your body, your body's not like, Ooh, this is bad label done. Your body is still going to pull whatever nutrients it needs out of it. Even if it's not the most nutrient dense thing, your body is going to take what it can and use it to serve and build more cells. Cause your body loves you and is rooting for you. So it's like, it doesn't matter if it came out of a GNC store or not. It's going to look at what it can and break it down. That's yeah, a beautiful it... soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> Your body loves you. Yes, it does. But yeah, it's a good point of our, it's our mind that can say, oh, this food is good or bad. But our food recognizes food. Our, I mean, our body recognizes food as calories, right? It's going to break it down. And I think that with the rise of convenience foods, it's great if you do need that, right? If you need an easy protein option, you're on the go. If that means, hey, I'm going to eat the protein cookie instead of nothing at all, awesome. Because I still like protein bars and protein shakes. But like you said, Haley, we have to be aware of the labeling of masking a food as a health food when in reality, it's just a glorified cookie with like two extra grams of protein. And there's another example of I think Quest, that's a popular brand with protein snacks. And they have protein uh, peanut butter cups. And compared to Reese's, the macros are, so macros, the nutrient breakdown (laughs) are so similar. And so (laughs) you don't need to always healthify foods. And very often you could just maybe opt for, yeah, the cheeseburger or go home and cook some eggs and it may not be as fancy or bougie, but I love that you just brought it up of just be aware of the, the constant swaps that you see on social media, be aware of the labeling because so often it's just 
not very different at all. It's just going to make it more expensive. And it's just, again, it's fun aesthetic packaging, which I, I can fall for good marketing. So <laughs> just fall for that or be aware of it. I'm raising my finger, I'm raising my hand because <laughs> you bringing up the um, Reese's labeling and like the difference between the macros of that and the healthified version of it. There's this guy, I've seen him on Cheat TikTok. Day Design. I can't remember his handle. I haven't seen his stuff in a while. Is it a guy though? Mm -hmm. you're thinking about? Yes. It probably is the same person, but what he does is he takes like different foods. Like the one that sticks out in my mind is the Reese's cup mm -hmm. and he redesigns the packaging and the label to make it look like a healthy food. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, this is a subject I can another get on another high horse about. It's just like food labeling and food marketing and stuff. And it's just like the perfect example to show people of like anything can be made to seem healthy based off of the words and the packaging that's used for it. So I love that. I, I think we should find that and share it in the stories maybe just to like show mm -hmm. the example of it because it's so true. It's like anything can be made to look healthy regardless of what it is, depending on the words that people use to describe it. Yeah. Cheat day design, I think is definitely the kind you're talking about because he's done a trend of it with different foods, different drinks. And it is, it's so clever and it is, it's pretty eye opening. So Mm -hmm. Love that. I'm glad you brought that up. But I guess it's my turn for yeah. the the trend. So mind is not necessarily a claim. It's kind of an overall trend that isn't just specific to this year. It's unfortunately something that we deal with all the time, but it's the fear mongering trends, right? And I think with social media in general, that's really vamped it up. And there's just a lot of them because people know fear sells and the gurus who want to make you afraid of everything, they get the views. It helps them make money. Right. And so I'm going to kind of just quickly mention a few this year because I'm not, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a registered dietitian and we're not going to get to the nitty gritty of these things because we know our shit about raw milk, these things, there's, there's a lot of information about it, but a few that I've seen is gurus and people with podcasts. I know we have a podcast, but it's been huge on other health podcasts this year. People have just been shitting on oats, oats and glyphosate and glyphosate is a pesticide. And people have, I also had to practice saying that beforehand <laughs> just to make sure I said it right. People have really just put a lot of fear around oats and saying that they are just coated in this pesticide. And in reality, Farmers have to follow very strict regulations when it comes to pesticides. And I don't know why oats have gotten the, the end of all the shit that people are giving of why it's the thing that is coded most, but people have just talked about if you consume oats, first off, it's a carb, right? So people already try to make people afraid of carbs. And then they talk about this pesticide and that it's just harmful for your, to your body. And if you're consuming it, you're just basically ingesting tons and tons of pesticides. But like any food, the dosage, is what makes the poison. So unless you're eating just a stupid amount of foods, a certain food, it's not going to make a difference. Oats are still an incredibly healthy food. They're a healthy carb, they're high in fiber. They can be something that keeps you really full for a really long period of time. And so there should be no fear around it. And I will talk about a few examples of science-based pages to follow. Seed oils is another one that a lot of health accounts, especially the carnivore people, that kind of side of <laughs> social media and food, they've really dove into shitting on seed oils and just talking about how too much of them can lead to excess inflammation and disease. And again, the dosage makes the poison, right? 
for a lot of people, seed oils are going to be something that are much more affordable. They are going to be one of the most affordable options. They have a really high, I think, temperature point. So like you can use them for frying and also they're shelf stable. So for, as you can see, a trend with a lot of these is the option that people try to demonize is usually the affordable option, the option that's going to be more realistic for people. And one more, and then I'll get off my high horse here. <laughs> this isn't necessarily demonizing a specific food, but glucose monitors and blood sugar spikes is something that I've seen this year, which if you are diabetic or you're dealing with that kind of within a pregnancy, as I know that can come up, this mm -hmm. should not be something you're worrying about. When you eat or drink things, it is very normal for your blood sugar to go up. That is literally just your body regulating. And so please don't waste the money on getting a glucose monitor if you were just a normal human just trying to eat. It is not something you need to spend the money on. And again, that's how our body functions and it's very normal and safe. So any thoughts on that before I dive into a little more of those things? I think I, the only thing I'd be interested in the glucose monitoring is when I have like coffee, I get so, mm. sometimes I get so shaky and like feel like I'm going to pass out and I could need to eat so much. So like, I'd be curious, like what the heck's going on? Yeah. And that's more going to be the caffeine versus blood sugar spike, which caffeine is going to cause your cortisol to rise. So that's also a trend that is a positive trend that I need to see happen this year and next eat before you consume yeah. coffee in the morning. And that will help regulate your blood sugar. It'll help regulate your cortisol. Yeah. 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 I said that the other day. I knew I'd heard that from you or someone of like, Ooh. I know it's bad to drink coffee. I'm gonna stuff. Like, <laughs> I think some people do it for like a hunger depressant or like really bad reasons, but yeah, I just hate feeling like I'm going to pass out. <laughs> yeah. Not fun. Yeah. I have two thoughts going back to the oats and glyphosate. So we, Avery and his business partner have a custom spraying business where they spray different area farmers crops. And so I conveniently have a lot of knowledge about chemicals and the different things that are sprayed onto crops because of that. Um, and I do will say like, so we use conventional synthetic chemicals but we also spray a lot of biologicals but um which is natural products that are then used um to help with the crops in different things whether it's like stress mitigate stress and drought mitigation disease control stuff like that but going to talking about using these synthetic chemicals on crops is one, the people that apply it, you have to have um, licensing to be able to apply it. And you go through like a strict training, a strict testing every single year. So it's not like one test and you're done. Like it's going through every single year. They have to go through this. And two, there are strict protocols on the actual like chemicals that are used on how much can be applied. And like we, for example, too, like we have to work with our county on what nutrients are we're applying to our fields and stuff like that. And so it's not like a farmer just going out and taking this big ass tote of a chemical and just like spraying it here or there willy nilly. Like there's a lot of precision behind it and there's a lot of science behind it and a lot of stuff too. Again, going back to like the um, like risk assessment of like knowing the threshold of how much can be applied so that it's not a risk for us as humans. That's yes. that we could go down a tangent of. <laughs> the other, <laughs> my other thought too, going back to talking about um, oats and like people demonizing it, somebody, um, actually Avery's cousin, not from the farm side, from his other side of the family, sent me an uh, Instagram reel the other day of um, 
she's a PhD. I can't remember. I think she was something with biology, maybe. I can't remember. I have to go back and look. But she was talking about, and she did it in a very non-biased manner of how she talked about the difference between, like, oat milk, um, a nut, like, nut milk, or, like, whole milk. And she was, was she saying, on the Marie, like, Marie Folio podcast? No, I don't. Because I saw a clip very similar. Sorry, interrupt it. But if we can find it. I can't remember. But um, she was just talking about, like, the difference between the milk is, like, oat milk is, going back to, again, how you said it, is a carb. Like, oats are carbs. But she was like, it's a, if you look at the nutritional differences is, like, what the macros or what, like, actual underneath the label is included in it is, like, where whole milk and some of the nut milks or the alt milks of that sense they have um, the better balance of the protein, the carbs, and the fat, whereas oat milk is more of those carbs and not including the protein. So it's like looking beyond what we've been saying is looking beyond the label and looking beyond like what's actually included in that food, not mm-hmm. just the label of the food. Ooh, but yes. I thought she had a very like non-biased way to explain it, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and that's why I'm also excited to give a few accounts to follow because more than anything, if you can take anything away from this podcast, I know we talk about a lot of things, but this podcast and this episode is that the U.S. food supply is safe. And there are so many regulations that farmers and ranchers have to follow. I think people just think of that as a joke of like, we can do whatever we want. There are so many rules and regulations to follow to make sure that we can feed billions of people in a very safe way. And very often these food trends and the gurus that blow up on social media, they are demonizing the affordable, healthy, and safe options. And they're then suggesting the more expensive products or even one of their own products, right? So always know where are these people coming from? How are they benefiting from this video? How are they benefiting from demonizing a product? And very often those people as well are coming from a very privileged point of view. And just not realizing the repercussions of what they're saying, that not everyone can afford these bougie things. And you don't need to, right? In general, eat protein, get more veggies into your diet, eat more fruit, get fibrous carbs into your diet, drink water, and you'll be good. I think so often we want to overcomplicate it and demonize certain things, but eat what makes you feel good, focus on those things. And very often you will have a very well-balanced diet. But any thoughts before I share some of the accounts to follow? I'll just say, I think we as like human beings need to give each other more credit because like we're not in any industry out here winging it. Like in people, my friends that are nurses or work in social work, I can't imagine the classes you had to take to be able to do what you do in your profession. I don't assume that you just like figure it out on the spot and are half-assing it and just are winging it. Like I can't imagine the four-hour labs surgeons had to take probably on just like a scalpel blade. And I'm thinking it when you talk about glyphosate, I studied agriculture science at Cornell and I had a four-hour lab on nozzles of glyphosate. We literally, four hours in the basement of the crop science building of freaking the nozzles that the glyphosate came out of. Like we need to give human beings more credit because we've been on this earth a while. We do know a lot of stuff. We research things, we know things in any industry. So it's kind of wild to assume anyone in any field is out here just winging it. Everyone's good at what they do. Let like let us just do it. Yeah, let us just do our freaking jobs, please. <laughs> okay, but that's that's my only thought. 
We're not Amazing. like cavemen with two sticks, like, oh, like in any field. Yeah, that's why I think too, like when people assume, like going back to the people's assumptions about what farmers are and what farmers look like, it's like the old man and the overalls with the pitchfork. And like, I think that's just something we've always been talking about is like farmers and people in other industries and the people that support agriculture too, is like, there's so much knowledge and like science and so much like facts just backing what we do and why we do it. That it's again, like you said, Haley, we're not just like out here just willy-nilly winging it like we know our shit and are doing our shit because we're smart and capable and want us to have a safe healthy and abundant food supply yay <laughs> love all those points and to wrap up our trends i have a few accounts that i love and they are kind of nutrient nutrition based but they also talk about a lot of other things and these are going to be really great science-based accounts to follow they call all the bullshit they're unbiased. They don't feed into fear mongering one. And we can drop these in the show notes. Lane yeah. Norton from BioLane is fabulous food science, babe. She calls out so many trends on TikTok. She's on Instagram as well, but she's an amazing one to follow the unbiased science podcast. So they're on social, but of course it's another podcast for deeper dives into a lot of topics outside of nutrition as well. And then Alan Argon from the Alan Argon, that's his social handle. Those are all going to be really awesome. And there's so many more, but I know those are a few great starting points that cover nutrition and other topics as well. But as we've really covered a lot of great conversation with the trends in food and nutrition, would love to end this episode. And since it's our last episode of the year, kind of doing a recap, we've done either hot takes or weekly obsessions each week. So I thought it would be fun to end this episode with our yearly obsessions of something that you just, you loved this year. So who wants to kick us off with their yearly obsession? You should. You're I should. Okay. Yay. Because <laughs> really, I created this. <laughs> I wanted to do a yearly obsession because I wanted to talk about this specifically. <laughs> Sarah J. Mass books and fantasy romance. I I mm -hmm. really liked have liked to read forever, but the past couple of years I've gotten back into it and the fiction side of things. But this year specifically, probably thanks to book talk, I've dove into fantasy romance side of things. And Sarah J. Mass is a queen. And for anyone who's like, who is that? She read or wrote Akatar, Throne of Glass series and Crescent City series, some of her most popular ones. And I, those are her three big series that you see everyone to talk over and die over. And I've literally been reading them all year. I started Akatar at the beginning of the year, I think in January or February, worked my way through it, maybe read a few other books, started Throne of Glass in May, or June, finished that, maybe read a few in between. I also read Fourth Wing and Iron Flame in there. And then now I'm starting her most recent series, Crescent City. There's two books. They're freaking ginormous. There's like 700, 800 pages. But the third book releases in January. So I'm trying to make my way through them before the release. But I've just become a diehard Sarah J. Mass fan this year. And literally her books have taken up my entire year. And I'm not, I'm not mad about it, not complaining at all. It's been amazing. I love it. You're convincing me. If you keep talking about it, do it. You'll it's become just, too obsessed with the characters though. It's just nice to hear um, a breakup of the Colleen Hoover, because I know that was super popular in the last few years and I read them all too and they're good, but it's nice to hear. You know, yeah. Also. These have a little more depth yeah. and a little more certain, well, depending on the series, more spice. Oh, then Colleen Hoover. Yeah. Crescent city, I think is the more spicy yes. <laughs> of her series. 
I haven't gotten into her series yet, but I, because I'm just not sure about the fantasy train, but people keep talking about it, so maybe I'll have to hop on it. Yeah, and I think the fan art on social media, mostly on TikTok, of all these characters, because of course, right, every single person is beautiful. Every single thing about them is perfect. So the fan art, they're just beautiful human beings, and then you get sucked into it, and you get too involved with the characters of like these aren't real people why do i care so much that's true though with reading books like when i finish a book i miss the people yes like, it's like i miss them what how, like that's a real thing mm-hmm. we need to move on before i get sad yeah. <laughs> what's yours man um back to the ballerina farm era is mine has been making sourdough all year and like learning the art of that and ironically the reason I got into it is because last year for Christmas, somebody got me the starter from Ballerina Farm. I love that. That's fun. Which I will say, so it's like a freeze-dried starter. And if anyone hasn't started a sourdough journey and wants to, don't waste your money on getting a freeze-dried starter. You can just start it from your own flour. It was a process, but don't do that. Don't do what I did. I think, Haley, I told you that literally like yeah. last spring. Like, mm-hmm. don't waste don't waste your time on that. I love that. Uh, or waste your time and money on that. But, yeah, becoming a sourdough girly and, like, making your own sourdough has been really fun. And, again, going back to, like, having a hobby and, like, having something that gets me back into the kitchen, too, um, has been really enjoyable. I love, love that. that. Um, yeah, I, I really want 2024 to be my sourdough year. I have yet to break into it. But I know once I break into it, I'll love it. But just hasn't happened yet the stars need to align Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, for me I think my yearly obsession was this was my artsy fartsy hoity-toity grandma year of just like falling into who I am as a person and like uh, so many things cooking obviously huge watercolor painting I really enjoyed picked up and loved Um, but antiquing like I all throughout the year I just became obsessed with going to antique stores even if I didn't buy anything um, and with my job before I quit, I was covering all of the New England states. So I'd be in like Vermont overnight and I'd find the best antique stores. But what really was amazing, these little 90 year old grandmas that worked in them. And I just spend like hours in them teaching me about like the different types of glass. And it feels like you're hanging out with your grandma and everything in the antique store is like stuff at my grandma's house. I just became obsessed with antique dishes, quilts. Like I just love it. It's so fun. So fun. It makes my heart happy. Yeah. I was like, at one point I started watching, um, what's that? American Antique Roadshow or something. I need to stop. This is too much. Shut it down. But we reined it in. It's a good hobby. Well, I remember like when you would go more often and share it more on your social media and stuff like on your stories. And every time I'd see it, I was like, dang, I just want to go antiquing with you because it looks so fun and you have such good shops. Like, we have antique shops here, too. Actually, our town has, like, an astronomical amount for one small town to have. But I just feel like, I don't know, I see it on TikTok, too, of, like, out in New England, people, like, thrifting and going to antique shops out there. And they're just so cool. They I are. I need that vibe. Yes. Big antique New England road trip. We'll do one. <laughs> I love that. I love our variety of yearly obsessions. And... I love that we started this podcast because this is our last episode of 2023 as we are all going to kind of take a break and enjoy the holiday season. But again, 
just thank you to everyone who has listened, who has supported us, who has interacted with us. This has been so much fun and really excited to see what we continue to talk about, what guests we bring on in 2024. And as always, if you've enjoyed this show, want to show support in any capacity, we always appreciate it. Subscribe, comment, like, share it on social media if you enjoyed the episode. And let us know what you would love to see from us in 2024. It feels weird saying 2024. I feel like I'm saying <laughs> the, the wrong year. But thank you, Shmem and Haley, as well, for joining in our Cowgirl Talk adventure. I can't believe 10 weeks went by. Like, I, I mean, it's crazy. Like, we did one every week, and it's 10 episodes. It's like, what the, what the heck? Wild. I know. I know. So fun, though. Love it. Well, I guess everyone had a good christmas holiday as we yes. pause for the holidays but yay yeah i was gonna say christmas and all the other holidays that are celebrated because i do know that they we have a diverse population of people Woo. with all the different holidays that we celebrate so <laughs> enjoy amazing well bye cowgirls we'll see you next year cowgirls <laughs> bye. So see you next year <laughs> bye, bye.